one. Not to carbon date us, but like it's safe to say we're all like born in the mid nineties, early to yeah. mid nineties. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Seems accurate. Yeah. Everyone, uh, on that page. You know, so uh we got to uh fully experience the rise of texting, you know, and all oh, those yeah. like weird Definitely. fucking uh acronyms that they have nowadays. Um uh, what was your low key favorite what was your favorite one and what's one that you're ashamed that you used? It could be any like stupid thing that like people started doing to like type differently on like phones and shit. Or like send text oh. messages. You know? Uh I'll go first. Loki, my favorite thing. I miss this so fucking much. You remember when the iPod first came out? Yeah. And so like it would be like lowercase and then the uppercase. Oh, oh just, uh, I did that uh, shit too. See yourself <laughs> out. Did like, no, I didn't. Should meet up later. I'm like yo, this guy. Well, there's there's a definitive worst one, which is for sure. I've done the math on this already. Good, actually, roar. Oh, 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 oh. Roar XD. Our, yeah, no, Roar I mean, XD. That's the definitive worst oh, one. I mean, I don't know about that one. Yeah, uh, I think I've only uh, ever said that. Spots. I think I've only ever texted that in reference to the fact that Roar XD is in fact terrible. I've never actually said it genuinely. So you've used it ironically. I've used yeah. it ironically. I was uh, an anime nerd in middle school, so. uh is you use it unironically. There's a fav- there's a famous shit post that I took as gospel, which is like I am the random I'm the penguin of doom, oh, which has no. both the uh uh the lowercase and uppercase and Aurora XD <laughs> in the shit post. And I uh, let you into my home. <laughs> <laughs> I use both that and um oh fuck. I used to call myself so random, but I did R A M d-u-m-b on uh so random on fucking neopets bro you did not have to tell us this well now i i opened it up the platform you guys share your equally embarrassing ones right <laughs> you guys, say on the same level I mean, so I, I won't say this isn't. Embar- I mean, I, I wear it with pride i used to i used to be on gaia online that used to be my shit for real and it was, it was literally just like, you know, you dress up your avatar, you know, there's forums and shit, and they had games. And yeah. I used to, I mean, no, yeah, I was just on some Roar XD shit, you know, like hey. just in the forums, like, you know. You have to. And, yeah, exactly. It was every everybody was kind of like that there. So I was like, you know, I was accepted. It's called code switching. And I won't take yeah, any exactly. an- other answer. <laughs> Uh, Roar XD got me laid a couple of times, and I will not discuss anything else about that. What? I need, I need someone to fact check. Literally, this. I need to how? This. Yeah, I need Snopes on the job. <laughs> I, uh, probably I, need... de- I definitely no. should not talk about this on pod. No, I need the car facts on this shit right now. <laughs> I definitely cannot talk about. It. Wait, wait. Did you did you make this? cold open specifically so you can bring this up so, so he can also <laughs> brag first of all there's nothing Absolutely wrong with did. raw xd so fuck you i think there uh, is we're recording we're recording so we're all recording by the way got him. yeah right i'm a raw xd stan okay i believed in that shit 
Oh my god. <laughs> it was I, the whole I, thing. I unironically used to use XD, but not Roar XD. I have, Listen, I have I, I've never it's used XD with my Roar. Listen, I'm gonna move so you guys no longer know where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you guys back in my home sitting, so, on, sitting on my couch. So I feel like there's a difference here. Like when I say Roar XD, you're thinking of somebody. You have somebody you, you you have somebody in your life, I don't know, but it's you when I say Roar XD, I am referencing somebody in your mind. And that yeah. is the kind of cringe that that is. But that's like, they're fine. You're they're thinking people. of someone that we know. Yes. Yeah, that... No, this, this, this isn't oh, what I'm saying. Like a, like you're just inventing <laughs> a guy in your head. Our, we, we each Roar have our XD is a type of guy. <laughs> yeah. Do you want some powerful cringe that's not texting, but it's of that like very specific era of sort of the... the same flavor of cringe? Oh, because we didn't change it right now for no reason. Yeah. The first movie I ever went to with a girl, like just us in the theater was the love guru with mike myers oh, <laughs> oh my god oh, that must have been weird. weird wait how old I were think, you i think i went on a date to uh, that one too <laughs> good, like or, I guess I been like 13 or something i'm gonna say didn't that come out when we were like 13 yeah. jesus christ good lord eighth grade baby <laughs> oh my god i play my music in the sun got a ride oh, from her god. dad <laughs> so what did you guys watch oh we just we the love just saw guru we saw the love guru went went to, the love guru. it was awesome went, went to the greatest movie, movie ever to see it yeah you it's pay awesome. money It'll be fun i've seen a couple of really weird movies for that would for be that surprised purpose. if it doesn't like... win some oscars <laughs> it's hard i saw the too. time traveler's wife in theaters for this purpose man nice down bad i think the first movie date i ever went on was to the opening night of twilight uh the first movie date i went to was uh <laughs> we couldn't uh trick the uh fucking what's it called people we had to end up sneaking into another movie but the one we bought tickets to was mega mind and <laughs> there's yeah, an mind amazing was joke in here that i'm refusing to tell because oh, she's yeah. a very nice person. Yeah, is. <laughs> it's a very nice person. I refuse to tell that joke. Wait, what? <laughs> There's a joke about the movie title that I could make. I'm just My man was getting joke. some mega mind. Wait, none of that happened. She was like the nicest person. But like, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Damn. After we snuck into see Dude. Those aren't mutually exclusive. Sorry, I'm gonna say her name right now. <laughs> Three name, address, <laughs> social two. security <laughs> number. <laughs> She's <laughs> sitting in row J, seat twenty-three, and uh, that will be for when we uh, do live reads. You know, yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> We're getting that warm up, that practice we it'll, needed. It'll be after the live gunpla build, but or the live face reveal. Uh, yes, there we go. We're not showing our faces in these Gundam builds. No, we're all oh, going to be wearing fun, masks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to wear my fishing hat. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, I'm going to wear the ridic- the most ridiculous pieces of clothes I have for this event. I'm in love oh yeah, it has to be done. Hear me? <laughs> you can be kidded the fuck out. Stole from work. I did not steal it. 
<laughs> okay, damn. <laughs> really wanted to. That came out real fast. I knew that was gonna be gonna be touching a nerve. Bro, it was 2009 Dark Horse Tour short. Fuck, see their Katie open Perry forum. Dark Horse? No, Nickelback. Oh. oh. Never made that's it a, as a wise man. That's a holy grail. <laughs> Never Dude, made this it. Shit was like if, if one item goes missing, no one's gonna notice. No, anybody who owns that shirt knows the the grave importance of how wild <laughs> that piece of clothing is to continue to wear to this day. Say what you want about Nickelback. <laughs> End of quote. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Nickelback just reminds me of who I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we live in an era. Um, we live in a society. All right. Wait, I feel like I'm forgetting something. What? And what? Start yeah. the episode. Don't know. I mean, who's that's here? What are we? Who's here? What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, no, I meant. Uh, what's it called? Wait, Chris, was there like a texting thing inside the what's it called inside the movie thing, or did we like skip over that? No, he said it wasn't oh, no, a texting it was, thing. It was just of the era. Oh, okay. I just felt like it was a, a, a perfectly crystallized cultural artifact of like. Oh no, it's great. Great similar flavor. Mm. Well, you all passed the do now, so uh, let's get to the lesson, right? Oh. <laughs> the do now. <laughs> See? I oh my god. I hate this man. Shut the fuck up. Damn, this guy uh, went to NYC public schools. Uh, he sure did. Uh, yeah, man. I, have, I have no fucking idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> So, for the people who don't know, the do now, right, you, you would get into class, and I guess teachers would kind of need, like, a grace period between, like, you getting in there and them starting the class, so there was a thing called a do now, which they would write on the board, and you would do it right when you got into class. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And That's then, the like, nice version of it, though. It actually meant sit down and shut the fuck up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I It was like, I have a headache, don't, don't fucking do this right now, just... Just go away. <laughs> do this do now. I had to do now that was literally uh like try to meditate in like middle school. It was huh. it didn't make it was fucking history class. No, yeah, they were like, please just don't come in with on the bullshit today. I can't. <laughs> I just I really can't. It was splitting so hungover. <laughs> like, what do you think history is? Like, Back in high wife, school. Um... My wife just heard you say that and she's lesson planning. Nice. Oh my god. Nice. She, rolled, she rolled her desk around and she was like, what the fuck is going on? Damn. Yeah, but now she has to worry about kids being on like devious licks. Oh, yeah. oh, oh my god. god. I mean it's 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 middle school. It that is That doesn't mean anything. It yeah. is what, fifth grade? What? Third grade. Third grade is hitting devious licks out here? No, no. That's middle school. Honestly, that's it, it, middle school. Yeah, what? That's. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what she was. It was teaching. high school. You're okay. She's your wife. <laughs> she just got a new. She just got a new position. All right. I have a story about a devious lick. It's the Montreal <laughs> screw job, and it involves Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Nice. Oh no. Let's go. Incredible. Let's do this. Incredible act of theft. <laughs> the most devious lick Earl Hebner ever hit. Actually, oh, no, right. he did get fired for selling T-shirts out of the back of his car that were bootlegs. Oh, amazing! That's, I that's respect a... 
and that's Young how he wound up money. in TNA. That is a him and his twin brother work. were selling up bootleg WWF t-shirts while oh working God. as the referee. While working as the ref and the ref's twin brother. Wow, <laughs> they're just like us. Yeah. Uh, let me introduce people. So, uh, if you're making it this far in, uh, what's up, y'all? It's uh, it's your boy Jay. We're here back at Higher Education Podcast. Yeah, you know, doing it big, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we got the usuals here with us. Uh, who else is here? Uh, it's Jules, and we're back again, baby. It's been a while, and I'm on edibles again. It's been a while. It's been a while. It is I, Sage. I am also high, of course. Just smoking the ganja through the bowl. Nice little glass piece I've had for a minute, you know. And, uh, yeah. Love glass, sure. man. Nice. It's Jano. Coming off of a bender, uh, living life. Also, like, how long has it been since we actually recorded? I think it might be a month. Oh shit! Was it two weeks ago? Was it? I think. No. Yeah, no, it was one. Yeah, yeah we did do one. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did like a, a Sunday. Uh, yeah, we yeah. started to get back in the swing. Yeah, yeah. We, we've done one in like six weeks. Nice. Yeah. Great. Yeah, we're really great for timing. You know, <laughs> huge backlog. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. That's oh, great. Yeah. We're bi-weekly right now. We're chilling. Sean's uh, here for yeah. one. Uh, Sean. I don't know why I'm here, but I am. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I ruined your night. <laughs> <laughs> well, how rude. I would like to announce that everyone here is held against their will. <laughs> you could stop me, but uh, yeah, you're not going to. It's very in line for our Twitter intern. <laughs> who's held against his will in the basement. Whoa, 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 that's a that's a wild claim to make, sir. This guy coming on the pod and just throwing out accusations blow, like this. Just there whistle, whistle blowing right now. <laughs> I'll see you in court, Buster. Yeah, man. Who fuck else? Sean. Fuck <laughs> Sean. Fuck Sean forever. Two K infinity. We yeah, show him anyway. a New Year's party and just get like a streamer that says "fuck Sean." That's a big, big <laughs> oh my God, we just pay people. Fi- we don't know so that they say it out loud. Yeah. Oh my god. And no one's allowed that. to say Happy New Year. They're just allowed to say fuck Sean. That'll be our Christmas party. <laughs> I'd be I'd be hammered way before midnight knowing that oh, this yeah, would happen. Doubt. Uh it's your boy Christian. Uh, I guess I'm one of the usuals now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of consistent. Seems like it. Yeah, Part time host works. Joining us today uh, to talk about Chris. I'm back for my two time challenge coin and regaling you with tales of uh Vince McMahon. The nice. prototypical American psycho. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well, Chris cat. is here for the belt today. He's coming for the championship. Yes. He's arriving. Well, we said we were going to do the part two. Glad we were able to uh, hold ourselves to that. To everything yeah, being is, the way is it what is. We call long-term booking. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Imagine that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's something that our subject today uh, has not been capable of. For I don't know twenty years. Yeah. Ooh, burn. Can't tie that to cognitive decline for legal reasons. Let me just get started. Regular. I know Vince McMahon from the memes, and obviously I know he's in. I know he's a big name in the uh, wrestling, the wrestling scene. But uh, other than that, I don't know like what he does for a job, unless it's just like promoting stuff. Is running everything? I don't know. That's where I'm at. I know his face. If I saw him in a lineup, I would definitely be able to pick him out. And be like, your honor, it was him. 
Uh, yeah, you could you could pick out his monstrous head and sort of his weird gray bouffant hair. That's very <laughs> defined. Yeah, but I did sort of want to touch on like where the McMahons came from, like these these strange beasts and how they emerged, and then how Vince became who he is, and then sort of what what Vince is as a as a public facing character and entity. Hell yeah, man. And then because it's going to get nice. real dark at points, I have some fun Vince stories because I don't want to leave it on a bad note. Absolutely. Nice. We're going to be Yeah, this is going to be so a wild like, ride. Uh, like like this I, there will be at least one covered up murder. What, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. Yeah. At least one. Hmm. At least, at least one. one. At least he, one. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna allege that had he the opportunity, he would have gone in and and tried to pull some shit with the with the Benoit stuff. But if Vince knew about that before the cops did, yeah, no, I got yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so before that becomes uh, anything that can be can be construed as libel, um, so the McMahons sort of appear as a like classic American, just sort of mick bog creatures who show up in the northeast to promote boxing and wrestling and sports real like, disgusting irish real people. real disgusting hibernian <laughs> apes i like that ding, the, ding, first, the, first sort of, the first sort of figure of importance is is jess mcmahon who's vince mcmahon's grandfather and in the 1910s to the 1930s he is a northeast boxing and wrestling promoter most notably promoting fights in madison square garden something that would continue you know through his son and grandson and in the post-war years wrestling experiences uh, a major boom especially with like the development of television because for local television stations wrestling was a cheap program to produce that could fill out their lineups and get good ratings and so each little area of the country would have its local TV station that would broadcast its local wrestling. And it's not clear whether it was Jess or Vince Sr., that's Vincent J. McMahon, which is the father of the most famous Vince. Uh, but one of them founds the Capital, the, the, the Capital Wrestling Corporation, and that operates as the Northeast Territory of the NWA, which is the National Wrestling Alliance, the group that sort of stitches together all of the wrestling territories into a larger overarching promotion that can share talent and sort of have a, a single championship across the country. And Vince Sr., he controls the New York area. Uh, he books out of Madison Square Garden and... As part of the NWA, he becomes a pretty dominant figure. At one point, he's controlling, you know, a good three quarters of his booking. And then there's a dispute that sort of arises between him and the other NWA bookers because he is allegedly not sharing his top champion, the nature boy, Buddy Rogers. And so there is this uh, this incident where the rest of the NWA sends like legit for real badass amateur wrestler uh, Vern Gagne to wrestle Buddy Rogers, at which point Rogers tells or Gagne tells Rogers we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Oh. And <laughs> Rogers sort of agrees to it and lets the belt be taken off of him. And so Vince Sr. just sort of goes, all right, I'm, I'm done with this shit. He doesn't acknowledge the title change and he decides to spin off his company out of the NWA into the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWWF. And in like some, some real carny shit, even for wrestling, he crowns Buddy Rogers, his first champion, in a fictional tournament. And I don't mean fictional in the way wrestling is, where it's like it's not real fights i mean fictionalism this tournament did not happen he claims it was <laughs> oh, in Rio de Janeiro on april 25th 1963 nice 
On April 25th, 1963, Buddy Rogers was in Akron, in a hospital, recovering from the heart attack that would end his career. And the guy he allegedly beat, uh, a longtime Capital Wrestling Corporation worker named Antonino Rocca, was working for a different wrestling company in the Carolinas. So the the McMahons are carnies for generations, through and through. And Vince Vince Jr., that's Vincent K. McMahon, the, the man we know and love and don't love sometimes... Mm-hmm. he grows up in North Carolina. His mom and dad get divorced when he's a young, young child. And he doesn't meet his dad until he's about 12. He grows up allegedly pretty rough. This is, you know, from Vince. So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because he's this you know, consummate showman and storyteller. But he claims to have grown up with his mom and a string of abusive stepfathers. And he claims at points to have been sexually abused, but it's Vince, so you don't really know whether he's kind of bragging about it or trying to make himself look tragic. Yeah. But so when Vince is 12, he finally meets his father and his father does not want him to be in the wrestling business. Uh, and Vince at first wants to be a professional wrestler, which his father is absolutely opposed to. But after much badgering, Vince manages to work his way into the Capital Wrestling Corporation, the WWWF, first as a ring announcer in 1969, and then in 1971, he becomes the play-by-play commentator for TV, which is a job he would hold pretty consistently until 1997, long after he was running the company himself. And through the 70s, Vince becomes this major force in his father's company, taking on more of the day-to-day management responsibilities and like actual booking one of his big early projects was being sort of the wwf the wwf's representative in the kind of infamous fight between muhammad ali and antonio noki the legend of japanese professional wrestling um this fight happened in japan in the 70s and the story goes that ali had not agreed for it to be a fake fight until he got there and there was a bit of a dispute over how it was going to go. But Vince's role in that was that he was representing his father, who was promoting it on a closed-loop circuit to be aired at, I believe, Shea Stadium. But um, Vince sort of becomes a more dominant figure in his father's company. And in 1982, Vince and his wife, Linda, found Titan Sports, Inc. And in 1982, they buy out Vince Sr. and take control. And then Vince Sr. would die in 19. And there, there were a lot of really good books about the end of the territory system and the fact that, you know, Vince McMahon personally destroys the way wrestling had been done for its entire history in America. And a lot of the people who've done a lot of work about this, they think that, like, Vince Sr., had he known what his son had planned, would probably not have allowed it. Like, Vince was kind of a unique disruptor, and that is what allowed him to become the juggernaut of professional wrestling that he was. It was that, like, Vince understands how to just be a real ruthless motherfucker and wield power in a way that no one else really has the guts to. You see this first, basically right away, once he takes control of WWE. In 1983, at the annual meeting of the NWA, Vince withdraws from the organization again, which his dad had quietly rejoined in the 70s. And he begins making really aggressive moves to conquer the wrestling world. He is not interested in the old territory system. He wants to control it himself. He wants to be the national force. In a 1991 Sports Illustrated interview, he goes, In the old days, there were wrestling fiefdoms all over the country, each with its own little lord in charge. Each little lord respected the rights of his neighboring little lord. No takeovers or raids were allowed. There were maybe 30 of these tiny kingdoms in the U.S., and if I hadn't bought out my dad, there would still be 30 of them, fragmented and struggling. I, of course, had no allegiance to these little lords. And what an insane way to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The man is a ruthless son of a bitch. And one of the most sort of notorious incidents of this early on is what is called Black Saturday 
1984, Vince buys out the national television slot held by Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evenings from six to eight. And this is one of the premier national wrestling shows in the country. He buys it out from Jerry and Jack, the Briscoe brothers, Ole Anderson, who are the run the guys who run the company. Jerry and Jack Briscoe are longtime wrestlers, and Ole Anderson's the booker and effectively the head of the company. And there's increasing tensions between the three of them. And Vince buys from them the rights to their time slot. He already had a time slot for himself on the USA Network. But once he acquired the second one, it meant that for nationally broadcast wrestling that you could see on these super stations from anywhere in the country, Vince controlled it all. And this brought him into conflict with Ted Turner, who owned TBS. And Ted Turner had had, you know, a long time spot in his heart for wrestling, and particularly the Southern wrestling that GCW represented. He had used this to build TBS into the superstation, and Vince and him pretty quickly came into conflict because he never really, it seems like he never wanted Vince to have this slot anyway. But part of the deal was that he wanted Vince to produce a live wrestling program from a TBS studio in Atlanta weekly. And what Vince wanted to do was use clips of WWF house shows and use this to promote the sort of co- cornerstone of his new vision for the WWF, the first WrestleMania, which would be happening the next year in 1985. And because Vince is refusing to produce out of this Atlanta studio, Ted Turner decides to offer a new time slot on Sunday afternoon to Jim Crockett, who runs Jim Crockett Promotions, a major Southern promotion that would eventually become WCW, the competition or the competition for WWF through the late 90s until 2001. And Vince is furious with this because he feels like Ted Turner has you know fucked him out of his national dominance. But Turner feels like Vince has been you know shitty and duplicitous in the way he's done his business. And this feud from them lasts for decades. And in a, a rare moment of retreat. Vince sells the TBS time slot to Jim Crockett. But with the fact that he has, you know, started to consolidate and take over a lot of the wrestling world, Vince is one of his other big business strategies at this point is poaching a lot of talents from the two other major companies, the NWA and the AWA. Most notably, he steals Hulk Hogan, who is this longtime, sort of, not really longtime, but up and coming AWA star. And Hogan becomes Vince's golden goose yeah. off of you know hogan stardom vince builds the wwf into a national brand and he uses him as the cornerstone for wwf's new supercard wrestlemania and vince really needs wrestlemania to work because wwf is going to start touring nationwide and that is going to require huge investment of capital and basically if, if wrestlemania doesn't work it's dead in the water there but the first wrestlemania in 1985 is this massive success and vince is able to just sort of continue choking out the rest of the competition in the wrestling world and he continues to use these very bullying strong-arming tactics to do it like uh in 1987 he schedules survivor series against wcw's major pay-per-view starcade on thanksgiving day and the ultimatum that he gives is that if you air one you can't have the other if you're airing starcade you're not going to get any wwf wwf events in the future and on top of that most cable providers at the time could only carry one pay-per-view like they didn't have the capacity to do both and so he just forces out anyone who's not going to work with him and he tries it again when wcw's predecessor jim cocker promotions is doing a bunkhouse stampede in 1988 he airs the first royal rumble on free tv across from so he is an aggressive businessman pretty much his whole career and he's not you know interested in you know the spirit of competition he's interested in choking the life out of anyone who stands against him yeah good lord he he really <laughs> had to come out he was like i'm about to hit the most devious and diabolical lick 
the world has ever seen. There, there are many there. diabolical licks in the Vince McMahon story. Some perpetrated by him, some perpetrated against him. Which is necessary. Um, yeah. It has to even up. He does get so, a lot of comeuppance. He gets, yeah, he gets a lot of comeuppance. And I have actually some of that comeuppance right now. Which is the first of the real, like, Vince McMahon dark moments. So... In 1991, actually not the first, but one of the first really big public ones. In 1991, this Pennsylvania doctor named George Sahorian is convicted of legally supplying anabolic steroids. And with his cooperation, Vince gets indicted in the Eastern District of New York. Zahorian had been the ringside doctor when WWF was like touring through Pennsylvania. And he had been selling a shitload of steroids to their workers. Oh, wow. And so Vince gets charged with embezzlement, using WWF funds to buy and distribute steroids, uh, possession with intent to distribute, and conspiracy to distribute illegal anabolic steroids. And there is some pretty solid evidence in this trial. Like, there's evidence that WWF secretaries have been involved in personally arranging drug shipments, that bookers had been told by Vince and Linda to hire Zahorian as the ringside doctor when they were working in Pennsylvania, and even that Vince personally oversaw the distribution of drugs to his employees, that deliveries would go directly to his office. God. Like, Vince had the plug, but if you were a WWF worker in the 80s and 90s, Vince was also the plug. Like, yeah. he would set up where you got your steroids. And this trial, Vince ends up getting off because of some really fucking Bush League legal slip-ups by the prosecution. But, like, in some, again, real carny shit, Vince... He wears a neck brace during the trial to try and curry sympathy. Oh, God. Like, he does the most, like, slip and fall lawyer shit you've ever seen. For real. I'm going to allege, allegedly, I think he paid them. Is, uh, yeah, is this, is this when he would show up with a neck brace, like, in the ring, too? Yeah. yeah. Same kind oh, of look. Okay. Yeah. So, right. in for this trial in <laughs> yes. 93, Vince was, Vince was wearing a neck brace. He was claiming it was for a neck injury, and that neck injury was one of the reasons he had been using steroids. It was to help him recover. But this was absolutely, like, the most ambulance chaser lawyer shit you've ever seen. Yeah. God damn. And this is not the last steroid scandal WWF would have. Like, another really famous one happens in 2007, the Signature Pharmacy Scandal. And this happens, I think, two months after the Benoit murder-suicide. It comes out that this pharmacy in Florida, Signature Pharmacy, when it gets raided by the FBI, they have on their books a bunch of WWF workers, including from, you know, big stars at the time. They had Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, Edge, Booker T. And they also have on their books for sales in the past, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, who died... In 2005 or 2006, yeah. I should say. Five. Was it five? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so WWF, they keep having these problems. And it's kind of indicative of who Vince is as a as a guy who runs a business. He does not create a good environment. He it really creates this awful, dangerous environment for his staff. And he does not care that he's doing it. He knows that he's doing it. And he keeps doing it and putting it in situations where shit can go really bad. And... <laughs> Jules, you mentioned you were watching Dark Side of the Ring, one of the episodes yeah. that they have done that covers one of these instances where Vince was creating an environment where something could have gone really, really bad. And it did is with a WWF star named Jimmy Superfly Snuka. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> in the early 80s, Jimmy Superfly Snuka is a top star in the WWF. Sort of right before Hogan gets launched to prominence. In 83, Snuka is arguably WWF's top babyface star. And he's good. Mm -hmm. He is he is a very athletic guy for his time. 
He jumped he has this fucking crazy. Incredible body. He has this sort of wild man character. And after a match with WWF champion Bob Backlund in 1982, he becomes this huge star and works a feud with Don Morocco that leads to one of the most famous moments in WWF history to that point, which was him jumping off the top of the steel cage at Madison Square Garden. A moment you still see on, you know, the greatest hits of WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Snuka is a guy who is not in good shape. And he is put in a position by the WWF where all of his worst demons are enabled. And as awful as the things he personally does, he is really viciously exploited by this company. He is illiterate. He can't read or write English. He can't drive. They know he's severely addicted to cocaine. Like, he will get fucking off his ass and just go wild. And he is basically led around by the hand by some WWF staff, whether it's Buddy Rogers, the aforementioned, you know, former cash cow of Vince Sr., who is at this point a WWF road agent, or his eventual girlfriend, Nancy Argentino. And Nancy Argentino, she's, I think, 23 when she's dating Jimmy Snuka. And at she, this meets, point, he's... she meets Snuka at 17. Jesus Ooh. Christ. Uh, so Lord. Like in upstate, in like in northern New Jersey, when I say upstate. Yeah. Um, like, nice little Italian girl, basically. She, her life was so bright and so nice. Yeah. So Nancy Argentino, she was with the WWF as they were touring through Allentown, Pennsylvania. And on May 11th, 1983, call gets put in from the hotel where WWF would stay, the George Washington Motor Lodge, I think it was called. And Nancy Argentino has had some sort of head injury and she gets picked up by paramedics and they're trying to resuscitate her and she ends up getting to the hospital and she's dead and at the hotel what jimmy snooka says is that there was uh, she slipped and she hit her head on the road but then as he gets to the hospital he's starting to acknowledge oh he may have had some sort of physical altercation with her he may have gotten hit by something basically snooka's testimony is really inconsistent and conflicted and all of a sudden vince shows up in allentown he shows up at the police station and he smooths things over and in snooka's book the way Snooker described it was that Vince shows up, tells him the matter's dealt with, not to worry. And, and there's like records of Vince talking to the cops for like, I think 19 hours over the course of two days. Yeah. Lord. And basically the only part of the interrogation of Jimmy Snooker that is not on the official transcript is when Vince is there talking. And I'm not going to allege that he paid off the police in, uh, in Allentown. I will. But... Yeah, very much good. Allegedly. Allegedly, Allegedly, he may have done this. Yeah. Allentown is a classic example of one of these, like, Pennsylvania cities that is really hurting from deindustrialization. This is 1982. That process has fully started. And WWF would go through on these tours every so often, and they would hit the Allentown Ag Hall. And they were seen as important to the city. Like, they would bring in a lot of business when they were there. There would be a lot of stimulation for local economy. So it wouldn't even really been necessary for Vince to have paid anyone off. It was understood that WWF was important to Allentown and that you wouldn't want to cause them undue problems. You wouldn't want them to pull out. Yeah, you wouldn't want them to have a reason to not come to Allentown anymore. And one of the things that the Argentino family lawyer heard from Vince was, look, I'm in the garbage business. If you think I'm going to be hurt by the revelation that one of my wrestlers is really a violent individual, you're mistaken. Basically, however you want to look at this situation, whether it's, you know, Vince bribed Snooka's way out of jail. Snooka was, you know, a guy who was basically unfit to be doing anything under his own volition. Vince set up this situation. And everyone involved with the WWF management, they they created a situation where someone like Snooka could go out and do this. And as long as he was worth money to them, they were going to keep using him. 
like weeks after Nancy Argentino died, Snooker was back on TV, feuding with Don Morocco, including that aforementioned match in Madison Square Garden where he goes off the top of the cage. And a few years later, where he's no longer such a big star, they cut ties with him. And he ends up on the indie circuit. He ends up briefly in WCW, in the NWA. Jimmy Snuka basically is, you know, uh, a guy who's completely used and then thrown to the side of the WWF after they have enabled all of his worst demons and allowed him to do some really heinous shit and get away with it. And it isn't until 2015, at 72 years old, where Snuka is arrested and charged with third-degree murder and involuntary manslaughter. And in January 2017, Snuka's ruled mentally unfit to stand trial. And he dies 10 days later of stomach cancer. What the fuck? Oh, wow. This was like all over the newspapers back then. This was like a big fucking thing. And he just gets away with it. Yeah, Snuka never faces justice. The Argentino family never sees justice for what was done to their daughter. And the WWF never really gets you know a, a public reckoning for the role they played in it mm-hmm. so that's that's sort of a, an instance of the environment that vince cultivated as a businessman but the point where vince sort of transitions to a front-facing sort of character as much as a businessman is survivor series 1997 in toronto canada or sorry montreal montreal not, 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 not in toronto uh in montreal in an event known as the the WWF champion at the time is Brett the Hitman Hart, one Bret of Canada's you know, favorite sons, and he is set to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels at some point that fall and winter. And Brett and Shawn genuinely despise each other. They are not friends. Through the 90s, they work together, creating some beautiful art. Yeah. But they cannot fucking stand each other. And Brett is set to leave for WCW in December of 1997. And the way the story goes, from Brett's side at the time, which has pretty much been confirmed to be the truth now, for a long time, Vince alleged that, you know, Brett was doing some shady shit as well. But at this point, he pretty much says, yeah, what Brett says is true. I fucked him. Whatever. You know, it is what it is. But Brett didn't want to drop the title to Sean in Montreal. He was willing to lose the match by DQ, retain the belt, and then drop to Sean somewhere else before he left. He had no problem losing to Sean. He just didn't want to do it in Montreal. And the way the match goes is that Sean puts Bret Hart in his own submission move, the sharpshooter. Referee Earl Hebner rings for the bell. Despite Bret not tapping, the match is over. Bret is fucking irate. Sean gets the belt and skedaddles quick. And so you have Bret standing in the ring, shouting at Vince, who is at this point the announcer, or the play-by-play commentator at the announce desk. Brett spits at him from the ring. And this is the point where they really realize, all right, we have to do something with this creatively. And even if we didn't want to, we kind of don't have a choice because up to that point, it was, you know, an open secret that Vince ran the WWF. Like people knew, but it wasn't an acknowledged part of his public persona. It wasn't part of the show. Yeah. And so at that point, they transitioned to the Mr. McMahon character that he has had basically to this day. Vince as, you know, the braggadocious sort of conniving evil boss a character that is as much you know him as a pastiche of him and through this character and his you know feuds with stone cold steve austin wwf becomes the unstoppable wrestling juggernaut and in 2001 on i believe march 26th 2001 is the episode of Raw directly before WrestleMania 17, the biggest pay-per-view in wrestling history, the unquestioned high watermark for the WWF. He announces that he has bought WCW, the competition through the 90s. The company that for 86 straight weeks off the NWO angle beat Raw on the ratings until him and Stone Cold pushed them over the top. And at this point, Vince 
owns the wrestling world. He goes through WrestleMania X7, and there is there is nothing left. It is it is all McMahon. And I think Vince, like I said earlier, he is sort of the perfect American psychotic, and he is he is kind of representative of like America in the same period, where like when Vince buys out WWF or buys out WCW. He he's on a high for a little bit, and then after that, there's almost this feeling of like, what the fuck comes next? And it's yeah. like, yeah. he is he is America after the end of the Cold War. Like he reached yeah. the end of history. What the fuck happens now? Everything gets somehow crazier. Everything gets crazier, and you kind of it see Vince makes less sense. craziest in like 2003 to 2007 until WWE finally transitions to PG content to get a TV PG rating on all their programming. But like, I think that it really is how you have to understand Vince McMahon. He is this all-consuming force that desires nothing but expansion. And when he reaches that point where there's nothing left to expand with, he does not know what the fuck to do. He's like Galactus. Yeah, he's literally a supervillain. Yeah, <laughs> no, he is. And it, it, he is a supervillain in all of the, the vengeful nature, too. Yeah. Like, when he buys WCW on that simulcast broadcast, which, you know, is seen both on Monday Night Raw and at the same time on WCW Monday Nitro, the program that ran opposite in the same time slot. Like, Vince specifically makes a point of exacting revenge in one of his old beefs. So, a former a former WWF wrestler who was at this point one of the top guys in WCW was Jeff Jarrett. And in 1999, Jeff yes. Jarrett was the Intercontinental Champ. And at a, an event called No Mercy, he was set to drop the belt to WWF's sort of big female star of the 90s, China. But Jarrett's contract expired one day before No Mercy 99. And Jeff Jarrett says, okay, Vince, I will wrestle this match. I will drop the belt to China, but I'm going to need $200,000. That's, that's fair. Yeah, was... I mean, listen, it was WWF's fuck up. They didn't know when his contract expired. Yeah. They didn't take the belt off of him earlier. Vince paid him, but Vince didn't forget. Oh, oh no. And Man. so Jeff, one of Jeff Jarrett's sort of signature things was he would like spell his name. He would go J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T, Jeff Jarrett. And so on the simulcast broadcast, Vince is talking about, you know, which WCW talent is going to stay. WCW's fans, who are you going to see on my program in the future? You will maybe see Buff Bagwell, big applause. You'll maybe see Sting, big applause. You'll maybe see Goldberg, big applause. You will not be seeing Jeff Jarrett because he oh. is G, double O, double N, double E, gone. God damn. <laughs> Vince fires this man on live television for the whole world to see, exacting a revenge two years in the waiting. Good lord. And Jeff Jarrett stayed persona non grata in WWE for about 20 years after that. What? Only, oh only very recently did he ever come back for his induction into the Hall of Fame. It, it. There's another reason. Uh, in that time, he also started TNA. Yes. So yeah. Vin, oh. Jeff Jarrett used the seed money from bribe, from you know blackmailing Vince in, two, in 1999 to start TNA, Total Nonstop Action, or Impact Wrestling, as it was later known, because he knew that with Vince controlling all wrestling in America, he needed somewhere to work, and so he had to start his own company to do it. Honestly, you gotta boom flip it. You have to. You gotta yeah, like. You do have to flip yeah, it. Like you're like, all right. You're like, I gotta use this money wisely. He did kind of figure it out. He for, made for just, a little bit. He and made enough you know, money. Jeff uh, Jarrett made his money, and he, he was a, an unholy terror in TNA. Uh, a run of booking himself to win that Triple H could never dream of. Yeah, Good but Lord. um, yeah. I mean, that is sort of like who Vince McMahon is. He is this fucking lunatic who will 
consume and destroy everything in his path and will do anything he can to exact, you know, vengeance for perceived slights or just be cruel for the sake of it. Like a lot of the funny stories about Vince are also stories about Vince being a fucking prick because he can. And I have some of those funny stories now that we can move into. <laughs> this is the I don't want to leave us all with, uh, you know, Vince covering up murders and, you know, getting his wrestlers so drugged off their ass that they get brain injuries and maybe murder their wife and son with a Bowflex. Yeah, this oh. is the, the Office the Life Bowflex. edition of Vince McMahon. So one of my favorite stories of Vince being a fucking prick. One of the guys in that video that I, I put in the chat earlier, uh, the New Day guys, Kofi Kingston, He's a longtime WWE employee. And <laughs> WrestleMania 27, Kofi Kingston was going to be the Money in the Bank match. And this is set to be in uh, University of Phoenix Stadium, Glendale, Arizona. And so Vince and some select WWF or WWE at this point talent fly from Raw in Nashville on a private jet out to Glendale to do a press conference at University of Phoenix Stadium. And something that's a recurring trend is that you don't want to be on a plane with wrestlers. Shit just goes bad and it goes weird and even if no one gets sexually assaulted it's just a fucking out of control time mm. and on this particular flight they were all drinking fucking heavily this story comes from uh, chris jericho in his third book and they're all just fucking drunk off their ass and they're playing cards and just shooting the shit before they go on to the press conference and you know they're all the, the planes land on the tarmac they're finishing their drinks kofi gets up to disembark and Vince makes some shitty comment to the, to the effect of, uh, maybe you'll get over someday, kid. Ah, damn. <laughs> Chris Jericho sort of chases Kofi down on the runway and goes, hey, you have to go back and fight him right now. You have to fight your boss right now. Because if you don't, he will never respect you. And Honestly, it makes sense. <laughs> I get it. Jericho managed to convince Kofi. And Kofi goes back and he gets up in Vince's face. And he's like, do you have a problem with me? Do we have a problem? And they sort of go back and forth of like, if we have a problem, or you want to do something about it? Do you want to do something about it? And Vince tries to take down Kofi. And they're for a couple of minutes, they're just like wrestling and scrapping on the fucking runway. And Vince finally hops up laughing and goes, that's how you do it, kid. And this is like a recurring trend with Vince where he will like bully the shit out of you to see if you're going to stand up to him. Mm -hmm. Like one of the examples of someone who didn't was a wrestler named Curtis Axel, who was the son of a, of a WF talent named Mr. Perfect. Yeah. And when Curtis Axel was starting the company, Vince would just like step on his feet and step on his shoes and he would just do it constantly. And eventually Vince is like, I've been doing this. Are you going to fucking do anything about it? And Curtis Axel goes, uh, sorry, sir. And Vince is like, no, what the fuck are you doing? You, you fucking fight me. Like, no, yeah, honestly, I would have fought is, him. I'd be like, bro, this is how this is how Vince is, where like he has yeah. this sort of dichotomy where he surrounds himself with yes men, but he thinks of himself as a guy who hates yes men. And he wants people to sort he wants to provoke people into pushing back. But he does surround himself with guys who are absolute glad handing little shits. Yeah. Like one of his sort of longest time WWF or WWE like back office boys is a guy named John Laurinaitis. Uh, and arguably the second or third most powerful guy in WWE right now is a guy named Bruce Pritchard. And both of those guys have these reputations for just being constant ass kissers who just do whatever Vince wants. And you're going to have to bear with me for this metaphor because it's going to be a little bit labored. But like one of the issues that has emerged, I think, over the past you know, 10, 15 years in, in the creative direction in WWE is that like the guys who are sort of Vince's yes men, they, they try and do what they think Vince is going to like. And in doing that, they just make a shittier and shittier product because they don't want to take risks. They just want to like do what they think Vince is going to like. And <laughs> I remember this classic in college on Nazi Germany, and they talked about like one of the ways in which... They're, they're, it's theorized that, that the Third Reich was governed was that there was sort of this like 
pursuit of Hitler's desires by members of Nazi high command, or they were constantly like, this is what the Fuhrer is going to want. This is what the Fuhrer is going to want. I am not saying Vince McMahon is Hitler. Someone else can say it, and I might not disagree, but I'm not saying it for me. <laughs> it's a Hitler quote. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's sort of what it is. And then you see creative people who come in who try and you know fight Vince on stuff tooth and nail, and it often goes pretty bad for them. Like there are wrestlers who have said, you know, this is the way I, I need my character to be, and a lot of them do not get away with shit like that. You know, they will be like put in their place. Some of their biggest successes have been those who have done that while having enough clout that they can't just put them in their place. And they've never really internalized that lesson. Yeah. Like one of their other sort of prominent figures in WWF throughout the years, or WWE, has been a guy named Paul Heyman, who was the booker and creative head of ECW in the 90s. And when ECW died, because Paul Heyman was a fucking awful businessman, but a great <laughs> wrestling booker, uh, he was already on contract as a consultant with WWE. He pretty much knew what was going to go down. Yeah. Um, but he has been, at various points, uh, on the creative team. Like He ran SmackDown as their head booker for much of the mid-2000s in this great period that was referred to as the SmackDown 6, yeah. where he took these relatively minor six guys and made a fucking killer show with them. He has been attached to Brock Lesnar as pretty much handling all of his creative directions throughout his career in the recent massive turnaround of WWE's Golden Boy and longtime absolute fucking hostility magnet from the fans, Roman Reigns, into a genuinely great character over the last year and a half. The guy who's been handling all of Roman's creative has been Paul Heyman. And Paul Heyman is a guy who's always fought Vince on what he thinks is right creatively. And Paul Heyman has been fired several times from WWE. <laughs> <laughs> and like vince just sort of is a guy where if you have the means to fight him and get away with it he will sometimes respect you for it and it will sometimes be a great success for him but if you're just some fucking guy or you're just starting out and you try and pull that shit you're fucking done yeah like you have to take it for some time kind yeah of. like one of the, one of the things that, that that really exists within wwe as sort of part of this incredibly unhealthy dangerous environment that vince cultivates is a serious culture of hazing like another one of vince's boys is a wrestler from the 90s turned top guy in the early 2000s commentator named jbl he started as bradshaw as one of the undertaker's yes. lackeys and then he made a shitload of money and in investments and he came back as the texas billionaire jbl and was sort of a top guy on smackdown at the time when triple h was the top guy on raw yeah and jbl has for a long time sort of held the position or not anymore because he's you know effectively retired at this point very retired as a wrestler effectively retired as a commentator he only shows up for you know pay-per-view pre-shows things like that but during his much of his career he held sort of the role of like locker room enforcer yeah and in in this, this weird arcane wwe big, system dumb, of, evil of justice uh he called wrestlers court he would literally be the prosecution like they had a weird informal court they literally used it all out justice but in the more informal ways of doling out justice you know guys like jbl That's who were deemed as real tough guys you know him uh bob holly chris benoit they were responsible for handing out hazing to guys that they deemed were you know not really knowing their place and so if you were a new guy who came up and maybe you know you had to be put through your paces or if you had a bad attitude or you were perceived as not really respecting the veterans in the way you needed to a guy like jbl could go out on national television and beat the shit out of you 
Ah, damn. And that was the way that justice was doled out. Yeah, he would hit you like, with a um, big boot. Uh, an ECW head. talent who came in what were the Dudley Boys. They came in in the 90s uh, and sort of like the late, like probably 99, I, would say, I think was when yeah. the Dudleys came Some in, maybe 2000. Yeah. But they were big stars in ECW and ECW did not get a ton of respect in WWE. So then when they came in, Vince told Bradshaw, beat the shit out of these kids. And JBL in a match with Bubba Ray Dudley just starts really punching him in the fucking face. And one of the cases where someone actually, you know, stood up to it, you know, Bubba Ray starts hitting him the fuck back. And after the match, JBL goes to Vince and says, I think these kids are going to do okay. But, you know, there were other cases. For example, another another ECW talent who showed up in WWE was a uh, part of the Blue World Order, the Blue Meanie. JBL did not take a shine to the Blue Meanie. And... At an event called ECW One Night Stand in 2005, which was sort of their ECW reunion show, JBL was drunk off his ass, and the show was set to end with a big brawl between the ECW guys and WWE guys who were watching from their box seats in attendance. And JBL gets in that ring, and he stares fucking daggers at the Blue Meanie, and he goes over and starts hitting him in the back of the fucking head as hard as he can. And when the camera catches the Blue Meanie, it's sort of the end of this segment when they're all sort of been broken up, you can see he is bleeding buckets like he has had the shit kicked out of him for real and like jbl had to basically be pulled off of him to stop from just beating him to death in the fucking ring Jesus. lord and like this is the kind of content or not content conduct that just sort of like goes and happens in the wwe yeah this this was encouraged if not expected yeah, yeah this this was considered like the way it was supposed to be this was sort of the old school way of doing things and it has you know allegedly tapered off a bit in the internet age i think one of the big events that sort of signaled sort of per- we don't know what goes on behind the scenes but sort of them trying to publicly distance themselves from the way things used to be was the firing of a guy named bill demott who was the coach down in nxt their developmental ground yeah been a long time bully and a bunch Massive of wrestlers bully. you know they had taken to the internet and you know said things like you know uh someone from the Hart family can stretch me any day uh a know nothing fuckwit slapping me in the head when i'm concussed is another thing entirely like bill demont has you know a long history of physically abusing recruits um possible sexual abuse too you know one of the things yeah. that was happening at wwe was you know if you were a young guy and you were in the shower maybe you got a little bit of grab ass from the older talent jbl especially was known for this um, yeah i think uh when edge was young jbl came up behind him at one point and just started you know sutting up his ass with soap in the shower and i think edge managed to play it off by just sort of not reacting but yeah it was this sort of like this culture of terrorizing some of the younger guys and yeah this was you know like we said this was sort of expected to carry on if not you know encouraged man even when i'm trying to do fun vin stories i go back to bad ones <laughs> well okay let, let me let me cut in and say jbl has gotten his comeuppance before yes you know? yes okay Let's, uh were you thinking of joey good. Styles? yes joey styles would you like to take this one or shall i go ahead so joey styles was the longtime ring announcer and commentator for ecw joey styles is like a little guy tiny. um tiny dude and joey styles was on i believe it was a flight to the 2008 tribute to the troops tribute to the troops yes. is this thing wwe did where they would fly personnel out to iraq usually camp victory in baghdad and do a live show and again an instance of flights not being good for wwe jbl had been off his fucking ass on this plane wwf's ring announcer lillian garcia had fallen asleep jbl just dumped a big bucket of ice on her you know he was just a general annoying prick the whole way and at some point joey styles just gets in a very heated confrontation with, with uh with jbl and the way the story goes is that 
they had sort of been pulled apart and JBL was, you know, sort of turning away. And Joey Styles gives him just one punch to the face and catches him maybe with a lucky shot, you know, probably given that JBL is a legit tough dude and Joey Styles is a little, you know, kind of scrawny guy. But JBL went down. One punch, he gets knocked the fuck out. Let's go. The next episode of Raw, which was the 2008 Slammies, you can see JBL has his his signature cowboy hat pulled real low to cover up what may have been a black eye. Once in a while, there is justice and rest. Yeah, just a little yeah. feel Not good often. after that story. The uh, another another feel good, which is kind of a weird feel good because I'll get into it related to the Blue Meanie one. So the way mm-hmm. they dealt with this was they they realized this, this got out of hand. This was a situation that like this went above and beyond normal hazing. And they had to do something about it. They offered Blue Meanie uh, just a, a cash payout or they offered him good booking on TV. And, you know, being a carny wrestler, he took the good booking on TV. <laughs> and so he was booked in a singles match against JBL on a SmackDown later that year. And he was booked to go over JBL. And so <laughs> go over wrestling parlance for for beat and during that match uh there was interference from the other members of the blue world order and one of blue meanies you know blue world order stable mates this guy named steven richards stevie richards big stevie yep. cool etc cetera, etc cetera. he gets in the ring and he hits jbl with probably the stiffest real chair shot i've ever seen in wrestling like full force smashes yeah. him over the head of the steel chair jbl gets a big fucking concussion and this Love is basically their way of making it go through go away is like doling out justice through nationally televised brain injury. So like you kind of shouldn't feel good, but also like JBL's right. a It is funny. Like, I, I feel it is pretty funny. Way when I see like old <laughs> clips of like chair shots to the head, like unprotected yeah. chair shots. But the JBL clip does not make me feel bad. Yeah. I, I'm gonna drop this in the chat right now so you guys can see this one. Some of it is I I like I gasp when I look at this one still because it is like fucking hellacious. When you see them with no context, it it's like, oh wow, it, it you are really fucked couldn't up have happened for real. To a nicer guy. <laughs> You're twitching so, and um... blanking out. Usually, I live for this. One of the things that has emerged is they'll, you know, bring an arm up to block it. Yep. Nothing blocks this. I just, I wanted to get your guys' reaction live to this one. (laughs) Oh, good lord. Oh, god. And then the DDT right after. So good. That man has the concussion. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, trying to hit him with like the exact edge of the chair entirely. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it was a, a truly brutal. Oh my thing. god, I just have to replay it like 10 times, dude. The this noise. So good. It's the, so The noise yeah, that made like on a impact. Gunshot. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Okay. So, I have some more Vince stories. Some of them are like genuinely funny, others are both like a mix of funny and like fucking horrifying cuz we've been the... so many things are about the burrito that's lighthearted <laughs> oh my I god do have a burrito i want to get into that one later because i have a whole like kind of a section on vince's weird relationship <laughs> with food <laughs> but um the one i wanted to go into now was uh so in 2001 uh one of wwe's sort of on-camera interviewers and like broadcasters was this guy named jonathan coachman and for the context of the story you need to know the coach is black um so gerald briscoe who was one of like vince's backstage boys and he was a, a road agent for a long time he was also an on-camera character as like vince's little like stooge when vince was the evil businessman so right. he approaches briscoe or he approaches coach at a smackdown taping in fayetteville north carolina because the nfl season's about to start and he's like hey we want to start a football betting pool and coach goes and gets 10 bucks from everybody and later that day two cops show up at the building where they're taping smackdown and they go hey we hear you have started the betting pool uh you sold to one of our undercovers it doesn't matter that it's ten dollars betting is a felony in north carolina we got to take you in 
God damn. So they lead him out by Vince's office and they're like, you should probably tell your bosses. It's going to be a bit. So he goes in and in the room, it's Vince, Stephanie, Vince's daughter, Triple H, who's Stephanie's husband and sort of the heir apparent to the WWE. At this point, he's one of the, just one of the top guys. He was already married to Stephanie, but he hadn't sort of emerged into that, like, the next boss role. Um, the Rock and Kevin Dunn, who is the EVP of television production, and Gerald Briscoe. And Vince screams in Coach's face for, like, 45 minutes, and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with your priorities? Using company time to run a fucking batting pool. And the police are like, to bail him out, it's going to be, like, 1500 bucks. And Vince goes, fuck no, he's on his own. And so he gets let out and he passes the locker room and he passes the undertaker and the undertaker is visibly like, what the fuck is going on? And that's the point where coach is like, Oh my God, this is real. No one knows what's fucking going on. This is a fucking nightmare. I'm going to fucking lose my job. I'm going to go to fucking prison. They make it about a mile down the road. They turn around. They come back to the building and Vince has everyone out front and they're all fucking losing their shit. (laughs) (laughs) Lord. Yeah. So Vince set up a situation for one of his black employees to get hauled off by police in North Carolina. Cool and fun time. Coach was was like a young guy at this point. He was like 26. Yeah. He was pulled straight out of your workplace. To jail. Pulled out of your workplace to prison. That is the type of like Vince story that is like he's racist jail, extreme racist jail. To to jail to like hey boy jail. Yeah, like not good jail for Um, at all. And Vince has Vince loves to play pranks, and he has this weird demented notion of like what is a good prank. Like sometimes it's stuff like that where it's way too far. Other times it's like small shit. Like on sometimes like on plane flights. Sometimes you know if Vince was like not too drunk and everyone else was like way too rowdy and fucking losing their shit and passed out vince would run around the plane find people who were like sleeping throw candy at them and then hide behind a seat when they woke up <laughs> and that was just like a vince thing or like one so That's we mentioned like, uh, uh guy. plane ride That's from like hell funny. Oh god! We mentioned the plane ride from hell, which was like one of the genuinely what has become sort of a notorious incident. For a long time, it was talked by talked about by wrestling fans. It's sort of like this, like oh, you know, wrestlers so kooky and crazy. But thankfully, the, the way it's discussed has changed because a lot of really sick shit happened on this flight, including Ric Flair running around just his robe, dick out, assaulting flight attendants. Oh, um, yeah, this is all sort of hitting the yeah. internet. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's getting yeah. It, the discussion has gotten reheated because like, as we last speak. night uh, the Vice series Dark Side of the Ring aired an episode on the plane ride from hell. But this is yep. like long time known stuff. Also on this flight, Rock Lesnar and Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, got in a like legit wrestling match because these are both like you know Minnesota college wrestlers, legit yeah. boys, tough guys, and they get in a wrestling match in the row and they smash into a fucking. Uh, emergency exit door and nearly fucking kill everyone on the plane. Good and God. so they have to be pulled yeah. apart. But um, on this flight, Vince is also fucking shit-faced. And he keeps trying to wrestle Kurt Angle. The Please don't Olympic try to wrestle Kurt Angle in a plane. Who won a gold medal in the 1996 Olympic Games with a broken neck. Broken freaking neck. Broken, broken freaking neck. neck. It's, it's and so Vince Vince is like drunkenly trying to wrestle Angle. And he keeps on like grabbing at him. And eventually Angle's like, all right, I'm going to fucking yeah, get this guy. I'll fucking fucking hit you, bro, yeah. And so Angle's like on top of Vince. And the Undertaker wakes up. He sees Angle on top of Vince. Goes, grabs a Kurt Angle in a chokehold. Chokes him out for real. And Vince has to get up and be like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Let go of it. We're just fucking playing around. Oh my god. <laughs> god damn. Undertaker is another one of um Vince's yeah, boys. He's, yeah, Taker is another very sort of old school guy who would meet out like locker room justice. Like Taker was the judge in wrestler's court. He had um, like immense power because of Vince. 
Yeah, because he was close to Vince and because of his, you know, seniority. Like, seniority was a big, important thing in, in wrestling. Um, funny story about Undertaker. He's also never betrayed. Player. Never betrayed Vince and swapped to yeah. a different show. Yeah, yeah. He, he was Vince's guy. Like, he was the fucking most solid, reliable guy he had. Who never had drug problems, was never fucking, you know, couldn't do a show because he was ballooned off his fucking tits. He was always there working reliably yeah that, that is the undertaker for so you. good reliable um, guy an, a, another actually like good funny incident from the plane ride from hell most of them are very bad there are a handful that are good funny um so another wwe sort of backstage like the guys who would be like front office if the wwe was like a sports team is sort of their backstage producers and stuff the guys who you know run the show one of them is a guy named michael p.s hayes who is a real piece of shit like a, a fucking drunk prick racist scumbag michael p.s hayes is that what PSA on this is flight what uh purely sexy if i'm not mistaken oh, I, oh. damn saying piece of shit <laughs> Yeah, no, piece of shit, Hayes. Yeah. But so on this flight, he was really fucking drunk. And and he's also a guy no one likes in the back. Like, everyone has fucking hated him for a long time. But he was he was rowdy as fuck. And he was, like, you know, fucking waddling through the aisles, fucking dick out. He almost pissed on Linda McMahon because he was Jesus so fucking Christ. drunk and he thought he was in the bathroom. And they were on their way back. So the plane ride from hell, they're flying back from their UK tour. And wwe charters a commercial airliner so that all of their talent all of their backstage all of their tv production all of their costumers everyone who works for the tour is on this plane and it's got a fucking open bar so everyone is berserk and this is the last time that they had one of these open bars on a flight like this because they they learned their fucking lesson and a lot of people lost their jobs related to this but um, now they all have to get their own airfare yeah so uh aforementioned jbl had had a match at that pay-per-view that closed out their uk tour they used to do these uk exclusive pay-per-views this one was insurrection and so in this match he had bled so he had this big fucking gash on his head that was like bandaged up and michael psa and jbl is sleeping in a seat sort of bandaged up and michael psa comes up to him and goes you fucking redneck and punches him right in the forehead (laughs) and so jbl is busted open bleeding like a fucking stuck pig all over his suit and bradshaw stands up and just knocks him the fuck out and lord he wanted to like beat the shit out of him but it's like he's your boss you can't like fucking beat the shit out of your boss so uh one of you know wwe's other talents uh a guy known as x-pac uh, sean waltman by most accounts a, a genuinely very good guy you know one of the good one of the few guys who did not fucking entirely ice out china when she got yeah sort of blackballed by the wwe he sees hay is knocked out and knows that everybody fucking hates him and he goes hey who has some fucking scissors <laughs> and so and michael ps hates he has God. this big big long flowing ponytail from his time as a a wrestler in the 70s in the south you know he was part of this team called the fabulous Freebirds. he was purely sexy michael hayes he had this big long flowing mane this fucking mullet and so X-Pac gets this scissors and everyone's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to fucking do that. And he cuts the fucking ponytail off and holds it above his head like a trophy. And the whole plane erupts in cheering. (laughs) And Hayes did not realize his ponytail was gone until he was going through customs disembarking the plane. Oh my God. 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 
And so he's he is going through security. Everybody is getting off the plane still, like drunk and pilled the fuck up. Like one of the things that like they used to do on these fucking plane rides, and a lot of them just used at the time for fun was GHB because you could buy it still. It was like legal. In yeah, the UK. good old you time. Just, like, buy GHB. I, so they I am just a child. Themselves. I, okay, okay. I was gonna ask what GHB was, but then you just answered it. Never mind. Yeah, G, GHB is a drug. That's a it's a sedative. So they're basically just like fucking roofie themselves for fun, and they would also use it to roofie girls. You know that and uh halcyon wrestlers can be real pieces of shit sometimes yeah yeah not great but um <laughs> so everyone is still drunk and pilled the fuck up and and michael hayes is like coming to as he's going through security sort of like sleepily walking through and he goes to touch the back of his head and he realizes there's nothing fucking there Damn. and he is at this point fucking sobers him up real fucking fast yeah he's, he's like, like where the fuck did my hair go and he starts trying to fight customs people no one would snitch on x-pac because everyone loved what he had done <laughs> but um it. yeah another another incident related to the uh, immense pill abuse on the plane ride from hell uh scott hall known as Razor Ramon, had basically roofied himself on the plane for fun. And so going through customs, he had to be literally dragged through in a wheelchair by another guy <laughs> because oh, he was basically shit. a fucking dead body still. Uh, okay, another set of stories that relates to uh, Scott Hall tangentially. Vince has a really weird relationship with culture other than wrestling and, like, the outside world. Like, it's just fucking weird. Like, he he's so disconnected because he exists in this bubble. Scott Hall played at his peak in sort of the early to mid, no, mid to late 90s. He jumped ship for WCW in 1996 and becomes just, you know, Scott Hall, the guy. But before that, he was raised a Ramon, one of their most beloved characters of the 90s. He is this scar-faced pastiche. You know, he's the bad guy. He had the thick Cuban accent. He would throw the toothpick at people. He was, he was Tony Montana, basically. When that character got pitched to him, Vince had no fucking idea what Scarface was. He had never heard of it. He didn't know. This was nine, this was like 1995. Yeah, he, Scarface I mean, he had been out for fucking decades. Like uh, another example of that. Um, in 2006 on SmackDown, oh, there was God. this character called uh, Paul the Pirate Burchill. This wrestler named Paul Burchill had a, a gimmick where he was just a pirate, and it was very like inspired by uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and he yeah. had, like dressed like Jack Sparrow. Vince didn't get the character because he did not realize that the Pirates of the Caribbean movies had ever been made. Uh, He's like, how can a pirate be a good guy? A pirate's a thief. He didn't get it at all. (laughs) Um, Another one. So in there was an episode of Saturday Night Live in 2000 hosted by The Rock where the musical guest was ACDC. Vince had prior to this never heard of ACDC. Wow. Once he saw that, (laughs) ACDC became his favorite band. Of course. It was it was uh, the only music he'd ever listened to in his life. (laughs) it's not like nobody he knows is obsessed with all these things all these things are especially popular within the people of wrestling he yeah, would have been talked to about these things weird in the past and he just ignores what they're yeah, saying and, and so acdc <laughs> became like vince's favorite band after that and this this carries me into another set of vince stories uh vince loves farting and thinks it's really funny <laughs> Oh my god. So Vince was one time in a car with uh JR, Jim Ross, who was the longtime commentator for WWE and was for a stint uh their head of talent relations, who's basically the guy who hires and fires and manages, you know, talent. And at one point he was in a car with Vince and Vince is just fucking hauling ass, not looking at the road, fucking blaring ACDC, and he's fucking looking at Jim in the back seat, going fucking, ah, I love this song. And at one point he shouts, I'm a great dancer for a white man. <laughs> as he's hauling down the street at like 70 miles an hour 
And at one point, he stops mid-song, turns the music. He's still driving fucking insane speed. He goes, Jim, I need you to listen to this. And JR is like, he's thinking of something with the car. He's like, you know, listening as hard as he's ever listened to something. And Vince lets out this massive fucking fart. <laughs> and J- JR's strategy is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ignore this. If I give Vince the satisfaction, he's just going to do it again. He's going to keep doing it. And so he just fucking ignores it. And Vince goes, you know how I get him, you know, so long lasting and stinky. It's protein. I eat nothing but fucking protein, buddy. well i've smelled worse and vince is like he looks back at him while still speeding another and goes what and jr is like well listen i've been in the wrestling business for a long time you know guys have really bad farts ricky morton fucking rock and roll express and that you know vince gets distracted at this point because there's a car that's pulled up they're getting pulled over by a police car the fucking lord because they're going ten thousand miles an hour he's speeding fucking hauling ass and this whole time jr is like fucking he is dying from this fucking rancid fucking Vince McMahon protein powder <laughs> ass fart. He has to not acknowledge anything. So when Vince rolls down the window to talk to the cop, JR gets this life saving breath of air. And Vince is, you know, talking shit with the cop and he goes, I'm Mr. McMahon. And the police goes, Well, I guess I'm the big boss man who was a, a police character on the show. Gives him the ticket. Got him. Fucking. After of nothing, Vince turns around after the cop leaves and goes to JR, you know, you're doing great work for us. I wish we had two of you. I wish I could clone you. And JR goes, thanks. You fart better than anyone I've ever known. (laughs) (laughs) And and Vince is happy as he can be for the next day. Uh, Another Vince farting story. Uh, One time, JR was in a car with Gerald Briscoe aforementioned you know wwe backstage guy jr farts and it's so bad that briscoe is gagging and eventually throws up out the window of the car (laughs) and vince hears this story and he decides that he wants to see if he can do the same because vince not only loves farts he's incredibly competitive including about his farts and so he tries to fart backstage near gerald briscoe to get him to throw up but vince gambles and loses and he shits his pants (laughs) and this is at an episode of raw so he has to go out and record his promo with shit in his pants and so he's going listen shoot me from the waist up you shoot me from the waist up only the waist up shoot me from the waist fucking up so i have not done the diligence to find this but somewhere out there there is an episode of raw where vince had to cut a promo with shit running down his pant legs another vince fart story uh at the, I, I want to say it was the 2005 tribute to the troops. That's what it looks like it, or no, yes, 2006. That's what it looks like. It makes sense looking at who was there. This is a story that uh, CM Punk told. They were all in this hotel room at camp, or, you know, the, the in the green zone in Iraq, and it's him and the Undertaker and Vince and Edge and Chris Benoit, and everyone's passed out snoring except for Punk, who can't sleep because they're all fucking snoring, and Vince, who can't sleep because he keeps laughing at his own farts. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be so upset. Like, I can't do this anymore, yeah. Grandpa. Well, the man, child. I respect it. Vince is weird for so much time. It kind of ties into his weird relationship with food. Vince has like a weird adversarial relationship with his body. Like he hates sneezing, and he thinks that you should be able to control it. And like sneezing is a sign of weakness to him. Yeah. He huh? sneezes, he oh, gets wait, wait this feels like a trip. That's hilarious. I can use. <laughs> This is legit. Let's take a break real quick this is real. before we get into this. Okay. There we go. All right. We are back. We are back. It feels good. Uh, so, uh, you have some more Vince McMahon tales to thrill us with? 
yeah, go, um, go back to the uh, the food. Okay. Oh yeah, we're getting into food. So we're I'm talking about Vince and his incredibly weird relationship with like his body and food. So we talked about the sneezing and how like he thinks that you should be able to control your sneezes. And Why? If you like, sneeze because around, he'll <laughs> yell at you. And if he sneezes, he becomes like incredibly angry at himself. And he'll just sort of like mutter for a few minutes. Like, <laughs> That's, a jam. That's the funniest thing in the world. He's like almost uh, fired people for this. For yeah. sneezing in front of him. Yes. So it's disrespectful. Is that like he very like he he kind of views his body as like a weird just sort of machine that he kind of hates that it needs things like sleep and food like he prides himself on sleeping only four hours a night one time jericho took a photo of him sleeping and vince is like delete that shit right fucking now but um so with food uh he puts like a full bottle of ketchup on everything he eats no yeah. way and you can uh, see in documentaries where they've had footage of his desk or like oh. his his desk sort of back in gorilla position as well which is like the the production position behind the stage where they, you know, Vince and the producers sit, there'll be just bottles of ketchup every fucking time they'll be there. And it seems like Vince kind of uses the ketchup as just, like, lube to make his food go down. That's <laughs> Because he said, like, oh yeah, I view food as fuel and I believe in, like, I, I eat just, like, nothing but protein, but I also believe in cheat meals. But so when he has his cheat meals, he thinks that if you, like, do it all at, like, once in one big go, your body won't absorb as much of the bad stuff. So he's like, yeah, if you eat, like, a, a couple of Oreos every day, you'll get fat. But if I, like, eat an entire fucking sleeve of Oreos in one go, I can just bounce back. Sound that logic. Works. Yeah. So, um, another <laughs> weird... I've been living wrong. A kind, of, a kind of thing that ties into, like, Vince's not knowing what shit is thing with the food. So, one time they were trying to, like, come up with ways to make Big Show, like, lose, but not without, like, looking... Not, like, looking weak. So, like, oh, we'll, we'll have him have, like, a poison burrito that'll make him, like, weakened for his opponent. And Vince goes, what the fuck is a burrito? And one of the writer's room was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Everyone knows what a fucking burrito is. And I was like, Vince, like, well, I don't know what a fucking burrito is. What? And they're like, Vince, you eat a burrito every day for lunch. And he goes, what the fuck? And he had been eating steak burritos every day for lunch. And he just had no idea what they fucking were. It was just a fucking like thing that he would eat covered ketchup. <laughs> and yeah, that's that annoying burritos. Couldn't see the burrito because it was drowned in ketchup. No, yeah, he, right. he thought they were steak wraps. Yeah, he thought they were steak wraps was how he conceived of them. Oh my god. Um, he also has a steak well done. Yeah, he has a steak oh, well done. No, this guy is yeah, an animal. Yeah. Trump thing. He's a Trump guy, guy. Like this guy is an animal. That, no, I would no, guess Vince, that. Vince is the Chad version of Trump. Like Trump is the virgin, Vince is the Chad. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they, have, they they both have like weird signature hair. They're both like New York guys. Uh, Trump sort of waddles. Vince struts. Um, Which is hilarious because Trump is way richer and more powerful now, yeah. despite being the virgin. Oh, and, yeah. and Trump made his money in a much easier industry. Like, Trump was in fucking real estate speculation, the easiest shit in the world. Vince was in the most cutthroat business on the planet. Fucking psycho shit. God, what was the thing we were going to do next? Oh, yes. So. The Saudis. Yeah. So. Oh, you're <laughs> I. The Saudi royal family is really evil. So, yes. And it seems like we're going to do a ton of money. Evil thing. So, it's starting in 2018. WWE has been doing these shows in Saudi Arabia as part of Muhammad bin Salman's uh, Vision 2030 plan of sort of bringing in, you know, sort of modernizing the kingdom. And one of the sort of key things is like bringing in, you know, more Western culture, and, you know, liberalizing a little bit. And one of the things they brought in is West is, <laughs> excuse me, wrestling, because wrestling is like apparently huge in the Gulf. Um, 
foreign policy guy and you know former rand corporation guy who lived in cutter and in saudi uh derek davison he talked about how like yeah wrestling is still like really big in the gulf for some reason but so starting in 2018 they did these series of shows called crown jewel the first one happened literally two months after the killing of jamal khashoggi oh my god and wwe did not like back off the way a lot of companies did on their shit with the saudis yeah they like, were just like nope we're going straight through a bunch of american companies pulled out of saudi arabia at that point actually no i'm sorry the first event was called the greatest royal rumble the second yes. one was crown jewel and since yeah. then they've done crown jewel but uh yeah so like the first there event, was... greatest royal rumble was literally was... like two months after the, the yeah. Khashoggi killing and they were not allowed to have women performers there like they were the, the women can't perform eventually they got the women to perform there for um i believe it was crown jewel um they eventually had natalia and Lacey evans do a match but uh yeah they've like the women who perform they have to wear like full body suits it's been pretty controversial like a lot of the wrestlers have apparently felt pretty uncomfortable with it some have refused to go after the first show apparently there was a dispute between vince and the saudis and so the planes that had the talent on them were oh, yeah. grounded for a few hours. And that yeah. kind of made me think of like the North Korea thing where they had their passports taken. They were like basically kidnapped by the Saudis for a few hours. I think like 15 hours their planes waited on the runway. Yeah, and they're all um, like regular ass people from Florida yep. and New Jersey who just had done a lot of steroids and brain damage. Yeah, but now they're in an international the incident of, of geopolitics, and here they are. Except for John Cena, John Cena is a man who has really kitted himself out for the intricacies of global politics. He knows not to say Taiwan anymore. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> he has learned. But, yeah, so at this point in WWE, Vince has sort of stepped back because Vince is, you know, increasingly old. Like he still runs the company, but more and more of the day-to-day operations have been handled by other people. Like one of the people who has, you know, for a long time been thought of as the heir apparent to the wrestling operations has been his son-in-law, Triple H. And Stephanie McMahon, Triple H's wife, and Vince's daughter is deemed as being sort of the heir apparent to the corporate aspects. But um, shortly after Crown Jewel, there was this segment that Stephanie did with one of WWE's sort of big monster characters at the time, a guy named Braun Strowman. Yeah, And one of the lines that Stephanie dropped was, you know, while sort of discouraging Strowman from doing violence was, dismemberment is a bit of a corporate liability. This a little this bit. was months oh. after the Khashoggi shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> either you are so incompetent and tone deaf that you could not have a job in any fucking company on the planet that was any sort of meritocracy, or you're just like dabbing on us at this point. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think WWE has kind of, like, they're very shameless about their relationship with the Saudis. Uh, the Greatest Royal Rumble included, like, a very canned, basically just, like, Saudi propaganda. The video that was like, oh, women are driving now in Saudi Arabia. It was a bunch of, like, you know, kids Incredible. running through the streets, men having fun, you know. Saudi Arabia looking like a great place and a great tourist destination. And it was li- just literally Saudi propaganda aired in the middle of the show. And WWE is not going to stop doing these shows because a figure came out somewhat recently analyzing the money that wwe has made from doing five shows in between 2018 and 2020 they are lined up to do their first saudi show in 2021 soon headlined by roman reigns and brock lesnar but so the five shows they have made an estimated 50 million dollars each paid for by the kingdom it's basically yeah the kingdom just pays them to do these shows yeah easy profit those five shows over two years made them more money than the gates so like the ticket sales of every wrestlemania combined oh wow 
at that There's point. No, like 37 30, of them? Like, yeah. yeah we're, we're, the last WrestleMania was WrestleMania 37. We've reached the point where, like, WWE, they don't need they, to be a wrestling company anymore. They are perfectly happy to be an entertainment conglomerate. They're also some of the worst people on the planet. They're also almost too big to fail now. Yeah, yeah at this point, they are like... They have so much money that they are they're not a never going to go away. They're a massive media conglomerate, and their business <laughs> has gotten more profitable than ever because the pay-per-view business model, was, you know, it could be a tough one to make money in because you have to sell a minimum 50,000 pay-per-views to turn a profit. But it's not that much money to make a show. Yeah, if you're if you're streaming, that shit's a whole lot more profitable. Yeah. And they have, you know, their their best years of profit have come since launching the WWE Network, which has now transitioned to Peacock in the U.S., despite the fact that their viewership has never been lower. This is, they have reached their lowest point ever, even worse than when Diesel was champion in 95, which was for a long time thought of as the worst point in WWE history. They are regularly putting up their worst ratings now, at least for Raw. SmackDown's doing better Smackdown, than it was yeah. for a while. But like, they don't, it doesn't matter anymore because they are not a wrestling company anymore. They are a giant media conglomerate. And as long as they can keep, you know, rubbing up with people like the kingdom, it doesn't matter. Like, there's been talk about WWE selling. And for a long time, I would have said that was impossible. Like the McMahons are never going to get out of wrestling. This is all they fucking do. But like, I don't know, fucking sell it to Disney. Like, what the fuck difference would it make at this point? Yeah, honestly, that wouldn't. This is them getting bought out by disney or nbc at this point seems good like it's gonna be real like it's it's coming i think it's yeah i mean on one hand like i think a lot of these companies would kind of be loath to do it because like these companies are way more responsive to people getting mad at them than wwe is like what's like five billion dollars to them but like they could pay him that much yeah and there's been a lot of talent cuts lately that have made people think that they might be trying to slim down their operating costs for yeah. a sale. Anyway, uh, another Vince thing that we wanted to talk about, because we promised it on the last episode I was on, was the Benoit tragedy. Um, oh Chris Benoit was one of the greatest wrestlers of his generation. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this is stuff for me to be like objective about, because like Benoit was like a huge favorite for me as a kid. And it's sort of hard to process exactly what happened and there are there's a lot of debate still about exactly what can be pointed to as the cause you know basically the the facts of the case were chris benoit missed a show local law enforcement showed up for a wellness check and what was found was that he had killed his wife and son and killed himself uh he had hung himself using the bowflex in his basement and research you know taken after his autopsy made it very clear that he had severe severe cte from you know numerous concussions sustained throughout his career and people think, also pointed to the fact that he was a longtime confirmed steroid user yep. i think the... i think like one of the worst ones until they opened up hernandez yeah 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 because yeah. benoit they like, said had the the brain of like a 90 year old man or something yeah Benoit Benoit was 40 years old when he died. He had the brain of someone over twice his age in terms of neural decline. Like, he had immense brain damage. And people point to that, as well as the fact that he was a long, long long-time steroid user and abuser of other drugs, like prescription painkillers, which is extremely common in wrestling because, you know, everyone works hurt because you wrestle 300 days a year and you can't do that without chemical assistance. And... Yeah, people have pointed to a lot of different things as being 
responsible for what happened. You know, people have also said that there was, you know, severe mental health problems in Benoit himself, which is, you know, very likely true. He was, you know, known for being a very sort of serious, dark-minded guy. But, like, it feels reductive to say that, oh, yeah, this is just, you know, a mental health issue. When it's clear that, like, the the environment that enabled something like this was in large part because of a culture in wrestling. And, like, talks reports on Benoit and his daughter, or not his daughter, his son and his wife, he had, you know, they all had Xanax in their system. Uh, she had hydrocodone, hydromorphone. He had testosterone from, you know, doing artificial tests and testosterone replacement therapy. Like, he had, you know, drugged his family. He had been off his ass himself. Like, the access to drugs, the prevalence of use of drugs, the constant situations of working hurt, the brain damage, this is, this was a culture in wrestling. It was the way things were. And this does not fall specifically on Vince McMahon. This does not fall specifically on WWE. This is a chronic problem throughout the industry it had been for years you know there had been lots of instances of violence and suicides among wrestlers before there were many after but that was such a unique tragedy because of how publicly it sort of happened like they found out they aired a benoit tribute episode of raw then the details came to light and it was just sort of this horrific public spectacle of what had happened. Like, you know, days after you had everyone talking on Raw about you know, how much they loved Chris and how he was this treasured colleague and how much they're going to miss him, they had to basically erase his memory forever because they realized what had happened. And WWE understood that they had to not talk about this ever because it raised some really difficult questions about their role in it. And this was also happened very shortly before the Signature Pharmacy scandal, which I mentioned prior. The Signature Pharmacy scandal... It was, you know, not the first time WWE had a big issue with drugs. They imposed what is still stands today. It was called a wellness policy. It is their, you know, their drug testing policy, their ban on, you know, illegal substances that is notoriously flexible and prone to being abused after the death of Eddie Guerrero in 2006. Um, Eddie Guerrero died of a heart condition that was exacerbated by his drug use. And after his death, they imposed the wellness policy and then within months the wellness policy was being you know toyed with and abused a, a very key example was that randy orton who was at this point already sort of an up-and-coming star kind of a big star at this point uh he had been suspended for 60 days for smoking weed backstage at a show you know not the biggest deal as far as drugs go but it was still violated the wellness policy but because they needed someone to work at a show called The One Night Stand 2006, he was brought back early. His suspension was just dropped, it was ended, he was brought back. And that is sort of indicative of how WWE has always treated policies like these. They don't really apply if you're a big enough deal, or they only apply when they want to. Like, there are guys who you know are using shit. Everyone knows. Like, you can't look at a guy like The Rock or John Cena and think, yeah, that's natty. Right. Like, at their yeah. age, their physique, it's not possible for them to just be that way. It is because they are using things like testosterone and HGH, and they are using them all the fucking time to recover from like, injuries faster, to get back in the ring faster, to aid recovery after injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, so many of them go bald. Their heads always get gigantic. It's so visible. <laughs> roid belly, acne, fucking. You want to see some fucking gross ass acne on a wrestler? Look at fucking Jinder Mahal when he had the WWE championship. My God, that man had volcanoes on his back. He blew up like must have been like seventy pounds. And yeah, this is this is chronic with WWE. If you know, if you're in a position where it would be inconvenient for you to get caught 
doing steroids or doing other, you know, illegal drugs, you're not going to. Unless you need to be punished for something, it doesn't matter. And I think that is sort of the real thing that which WWE had to reckon with and never has coming out of the Benoit tragedy is the fact that like the environment that makes these things possible, it's it's profitable for them so they don't give a shit. They'll keep doing it. And, you know, there haven't been any of these really big, high-profile tragedies in recent years. But the next time one happens, WWE will be just as responsible as they were then. And they will face the same amount of consequences they did then, already none. Yep. And, you know, that is one of the tragedies of the wrestling world. And it is tough to deal with as a fan because, you know, both because of the the horrifying morality of it and also because you you appreciate these performers and what they do and you know you wish there was a place that treated them better and a world that would take care of them and you know if you want to be a star in wrestling that's not the case it's just not yeah damn yeah so like i said i don't want to leave us on too dark a note when it comes to vince so the last thing that we have to watch is uh a clip from the 2005 royal rumble this is the 2005 royal rumble ended with a for real fuck up where it was John Cena and Batista were the final two in the Royal Rumble, a match where the last man in the ring who does not go over the top rope wins. And they both went over. It was a fucking error. Uh, they, they were not supposed to both fall out of that ring. I believe it was Cena originally booked to win, but him and Batista both went over the top. And so Vince has to fucking come out and make you know a big scene out of it and this has happened before on purpose uh there was a time when brett hart and psycho sid both went over and this was an angle they did but this was very much not an angle and so when vince runs out something happens i'll put it that way and i just want you to watch this video it'll be premium content it'll be clear what had happened from the title of the video but just take a look so we have john cena and Batista in the ring currently, right? Both hands up. Both hands are up. Two different sets of refs. Yeah. Crowd Batista is going was the crazy. champ from Raw. Or Batista was the wrestler from Raw. John Cena was the wrestler from SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Like, they have who's going to be the real judges. winner? Who's going to go to WrestleMania? It does seem like a bit, honestly. It seems like they're doing a bit. And it's because they've done this bit in the past, so they kind of know what to revert to. Right. But it's very much not a bit. This was an actual fuck up. And here comes Vince. Wow, he walks so crazy. <laughs> Yo, his his strut is absolutely insane. Danced up. Oh, <laughs> is it when oh. he hit his legs on the ring? Oh. Yes, maybe. Oh, he hit his legs on the ring. He he looks pissed off at himself. And both like of he his quads tore. He's just sitting there like that. He very much fucked it up. He physically cannot stand. No, he, he cannot stand. He got no legs. He got no legs. Why his legs don't work? Either. He looks as confused as he does angry. Uh, everybody's just like, <laughs> "Why is he sitting?" I remember watching this as a kid and being like, "What is going on, Vince? Stand up! What are you doing, you fucking weirdo?" <laughs> <laughs> and Vince is what still is just going sitting on, on the floor. side seats. You know, like, he looks so. Like, he must be in extreme pain, right? Oh yeah. Oh my he, he just looks confused. Mister McMahon, what do you have to say? Uh, please, please call a. Please Help call me. an ambulance. Oh, please get I'm a dying. wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, Everything so, hurts. Uh, Vince came out when he hit his quad on the ring apron. He tore his quads. One of the referees, Jimmy Corderas, he's talked about this. 
and he's thinking like what's what's vince doing why is he sitting there and vince is just like get over here and I, i'm sorry it was batista who was really supposed to win not john cena but yeah so apparently vince after he got out of the ring he got to the back without help like he he managed to walk to the back somehow how Fucking i don't animal. know it was but pure vince... force of will yeah, yeah. the genetic jackhammer willed himself to the back oh yeah that's one of vince's nicknames the genetic jackhammer Vince McMahon is maybe the most insane American to ever live. He is definitely up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could see it. He is a unique creature in this world. And when he is gone, there will never be another like him. Nah, he's just built different. Like, there are, just Vince built McMahon different. is truly built different. It's probably and, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a good, <laughs> it's probably a good thing that there will never be another Vince McMahon because he is as entertaining as he is a fucking monster in a lot of ways too much power in one individual and yet every wrestling fan who has ever lived has sort of a weird reverence for vince mcmahon because you know love him or hate him if you were a wcw fan if you were a wwe fan you recognize that he changed wrestling forever and it's never going to be the way it was and only person who ever could have done that was vince mcmahon like he he is one of these great men of history but it just so happens that he was confined to this weird carny ass art form. And had he not been in this weird carny ass art form, maybe he would have just been a fucking bum. Maybe if he went into regular business, people would be like, fuck off out of here with your weird shit. Go somewhere else. Yeah. You were fired. Go home. Stop ripping ass. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop farting here for no reason. Stop doing steroids into your 70s, you ch- fucking freak. Or the other version, he becomes president. Yeah, or, or there's the other option, yeah. which is that Vince rules us all from a throne of skulls. <laughs> Your steroids, Mr. President. Yeah. <laughs> so that that is Vince McMahon. And so many of these things I glossed over or skipped entirely. And there could be entire episodes just on you know segments of Vince's life. People have written books about just little chapters of Vince's story. But there's never going to be another Vince and Kennedy McMahon. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, better God. Not be. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, God, have mercy on our souls if there ever is. Maybe, the air can't take it. Maybe Steph and Triple H will have some weird fucked up kid that's going to be fucking Damian oh, Omen no. wrestling. Oh God, I, they have kids. I, I think they have to, but like, I don't it's know coming. If them are freaks like Vince. Give it time. Like, oh, Only time will tell. You know that Vince would like try and do a story where he was the kid's father. I'm pretty sure that like he tried yeah, to do a story once. Where he impregnated Stephanie, and Stephanie was like, "No, Dad, you can't do that. I'm not gonna fucking do an incest angle with you, you old creep, you fucking weirdo." But uh, fucking yeah, gross man. That's Vince. shame on thou. Vince is a dirty little old man. Not little. He's a dirty old man. Yeah, Vince is Vince. Yeah. Wow, I think this is gonna be the longest episode we've done. Definitely. Oh, Didn't yeah. touch on a bunch of stuff. Yes. Like that. I, I literally um, didn't have the audacity of, so I wasn't looking at the time. Yeah. Two hours and six minutes. I was peeping it. I was like, no, this is too much shit. Oh, like, this is all cool. I got 153. We're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is a great place to cut it. Uh, thank you so much for the part two. Chris, of course. Uh, Happy to be back. It is a pleasure. want to talk about other weird wrestling shit or some of the other weird shit I know about, I'll think of something. But, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Sure. yeah. That's Vince. Yeah, so that day uh, from all of us here, Pyre Education Podcast. Take it easy. Uh, peace out. Adios. Peace. Peace.